Open loops. Open loops. Open loops. Open loops. Open loops. You must listen to the open loops, a theme park for absurd beliefs and systems of integration between the mind and the creative spirit. Open loops. Today on Open Loops, we have the closest thing I can find to an actual Indiana Jones. Uh, we have Kevin Bloom here. He's he's a researcher. He's uh, a very uh, well, very academic uh, and an exploratory, and I would even dare say alternative uh scholar on a variety of different things though what brings kevin to the show today is a discovery of treasure that's right we are talking about apache treasure something rumored to be there uh and and kevin believes he has landed on it what some may even call the lost cities of gold I'm going to let Kevin talk about it. First of all, Kevin, thanks so much for coming on the show. Oh, sure. No problem. No problem. Thank you. Hey, I'm honored that you're you're sharing this exclusive with uh, the Open Loops audience here. I mean, this is you, you, when you reached out to me and told me you you ran into this or you you found this. It was uh, it seemed pretty remarkable. I mean, uh, before we go into this, how did you how do you even know about any of this where did you you know in terms of your education i mean i know that uh in other contexts we've talked about various things everything from time travel to roswell so uh i didn't know this kind of ancient uh history or maybe not even ancient history but but this history was was in your wheelhouse i mean uh can, can you speak to a little bit about where this research even fits into your trajectory personally Sure. That, that basically, I had, I had just bought a piece of property outside of town with the intention of building a house on it. it it's, it's a nice big piece of property. It's one mile around. Uh, but yeah, when I walked the property, I started coming across all these different artifacts. And when I talked to the homeowner of this homeowners association, this covenant, that the person that I had bought it from 
lives outside of town. I don't think he had any idea of what was going on. When I talked to the Covenant, the Homeowners Association, they said that the land was owned by the state, that the land was released for urban sprawl to, to build houses on. And basically, they'd just been selling off pieces of property for the last 40, 50 years. Before that, it was all just state land that, if anything, it was used for cattle grazing because there's an old corral up the road from our land. The corral isn't on our land, but the watering hole is. And that's what started the whole story because when I first walked the property and I came across this watering hole, I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. I was like, check out this watering hole. I see the corral up the road. And then all of a sudden I walked closer to it. And I was like, I was like, you can tell it's a watering hole, but what were they trying to do? I was like, this is kind of like a failed attempt at a watering hole. I was yeah. like, what were they trying to do here? So, so I walked up to it and I was like, is this what I think it is? And, and I looked down at the ground and it spans about four or five acres that, that it's, it's like some sort of impact. It was like this meteor impact. And I started taking videos of it, collecting the, the artifacts, the stuff that I've been finding around it. And uh, it, it just unfolded onto this like amazing story that, that the, these cities that had existed and then this impact had destroyed it all where like it caused a global event where re-evolution had to happen. And from there, the, it caused a natural like shelter that was inhabited from that point all the way up until say the late 1800s. Because when the Indian Wars happened and the massacres happened, the treasure was hidden there. And like, from my understanding of it, multiple treasures at different times, because it was like a natural vault that the Native Americans used that when all the Native Americans were forced out West, that this giant field that spans like hundreds of thousands of acres, it's tucked on the side of a mountain, that it, it, it's like a really nice hiding spot and type of thing. And they had lived there for about two or 300 years uh, when, at, when all that was going on. But then when the, it, when the rebellion happened and the massacres started happening for two years, everything was, they were eradicated. All the elders were killed. The treasure that was hidden there they they had the intent to come back, but they couldn't come back because they lost the war. The land was taken by the United States. The United States had no idea of this going on. And I'm like a direct descendant of one of the presidents. So when I came across this, the only reason I heard of it is because when I started coming across stuff, uh, some of my friends around here, that I, I brought them out to the property. I was like, you got to see these treasures and stuff that I'm finding. I was like, this is gold. These are tools. These are all sorts of different things. And then uh, one of my friends is a Comanche, and he's like, as we were walking the property, he's like, he's like, are you sure this isn't the Apache treasure? And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, the Apache treasure that all the tribes, a bunch of tribes had gotten together for the rebellion, and they had hidden this treasure, and it's the treasure is hidden in the mouth of the man of the mountain. But the treasure was never retrieved because the war was lost, the, the massacres happened, everybody was eradicated. And so it's been lost. And it turns out that this may be not only the Apache treasure, but the lost Dutchman's mine, the Grand Kibera, the lost Padres mine that people were talking about. Because the lost Padres mine, where they said it was in like southern New Mexico, it was held by Native Americans, it lines up with the same story of the lost Dutchman's mine. Because the lost Dutchman's mine, where he seeked harbor in this natural shelter, in like in the middle of like nowhere, and then he learned that the Native Americans managed it. So he shared the knowledge with the Native Americans. 
and um, and basically they kept the whole thing hidden. What th this is a really incredible story, um, and I'm curious about the the origins of the Apache treasure. I mean, what what is what was the idea behind that? I mean, was it have people gone out looking for this treasure and it's never been recovered before? I mean, what, what can you speak to some of the legends? Yeah, basically, people have been looking for the lost Dutchman's mine for decades. The Apache treasure, which is known from around the Native Americans, uh, my thoughts are because you know I'm I'm a direct descendant of the president of one of the presidents, so I had like no idea about any of this going on. But like some locals, Native Americans, and some other people, I'm almost positive they know about it or knew about it because when I first bought the property, somebody had approached me trying to buy the property. And I was like, I, this is before you even walked the property or anything. And then when I walked the property and I started finding all this stuff and it kind of lined up with, you know, how people were contacting me, asking me to buy the land that other people knew about it, but it was under the, at, at the time it was under the United States control. And then when it was released and sold off to people, this, this guy, Scott Beasley out of town, uh, he had no idea what was going on. And I think people were just trying to keep it hidden because supposedly there's like 3,000 gold bars from a Civil War stash hidden there, as well as like another 1,600 Inca, like Aztec gold bars. Uh, as I mentioned, it was like a Native American vault that they had used for a couple hundred years, but it was uh, it was like hidden information from the United States. This is now. Wait a minute. This is. I mean, this is not just something that uh, anybody stumbles upon. I. I do wonder. Well, let me ask you this for a second. Actually, the president's relation thing. You said you're related to a president. What? What is? What is the significance of that? I mean, why does that mean you're being kept in the dark about certain things? Can you go oh, into that a little more? Uh, the my grandmother's uncle is President Taft. Right. So so my grandmother's uncle is President Taft. She she's died. But my grandma Joan, which is her sister. Uh, so my grandma Joan, who is still alive, uh, she's she's getting up with towards almost 100 years old. But she lives over in Michigan and she's all big into Indian artifacts and everything. When the Indian Wars were going on, uh, that was right around the same time of President Taft's presidency. So me being like one of the direct descendants that. You know, maybe there were rumors of it, like you hear, you know, the Golden Corral, the story of the Golden Corral, which, yeah, you know, this field that the Native American knew about that that was hidden by some ranches when the United States took over because they made the they made the impact site look like a watering hole for this corral. And that's why they called it the legend of the Golden Corral. Interesting. Is this uh, it has what you found? Is it is it worth anything? Um, as far as I see so far, just the artifacts, like literally, it's like you mentioned the Indiana Jones thing. It's just like in the movies that like when he goes into that temple and he's just getting treasures out of the sand. You're talking about, I would say my family's property is one mile around. It bleeds off into at least another three or four acres. I'm sorry, not acres, miles. We're talking three or four miles of treasure that's just been buried in the ancient this bottom of a seabed that's all sand when they were when it was inhabited for say the two or three hundred years you're just talking all this stuff that's been buried in the sand and it's focalized it's centralized around my my family's 
one mile piece of property, this meteor impact site. That is really wild. Yeah. Um, like, <laughs> yeah. Check this out. Just like, uh, like uh, also in the movie, you know, how he gets the stuff out of the sand, but like when he falls, I almost died uh, like a week and a half ago. I, I don't know if I mentioned this to you, but I, I mentioned it to a couple other people. I was, I was collecting artifacts, right? Every time I come back from there, I come back with a backpack filled with artifacts every time, right? So I was just about to leave. It was getting towards uh, sunset and I'm walking around. All of a sudden I look down and I'm like right on top of a rattlesnake den. I'm talking 15 feet around with holes everywhere. If you're familiar with what a rattlesnake den is, it's basically they have these dens where, you know, they crawl down in their holes and, and they den together. But after they do this over time, these dens can get to be 10 feet wide, 15 feet wide. And the holes for the rattlesnake den is just like a paper towel where, where you put like water on a paper towel and, and the rock will just fall through immediately because it's just the moisture and everything. If it, I tiptoed off of there, I, if I fell through, I would have died immediately. They would have, they would have hit me from all, I would have died immediately. Can other people verify that this this is a? I mean, you you actually yeah you did say that you've talked to some, uh, you talked to an archaeologist, you've talked to other people. I mean, I'm wondering right now, uh, what maybe even are you revealing too much? Will people come in and try to take this away from you? Try to censor you? Bringing this out there? I mean, what do you have you thought about that? Well, that's the thing, and I'm sorry because you mentioned about the treasure. Uh, I'm thinking just the stuff that I'm finding on the. Every time it rains, it washes stuff away, right? Where where it comes out of nowhere, and it, like uh, unless you know what you're looking for, you you don't really know it. But then all of a sudden, you realize that there's this vast four or five mile treasure all around, like the corral that's up the road from my land. It's not just it's not just cows that were corralled at that corral that when the massacres were happening. This is the evidence that we're seeing from it, that when it was your time to go, that you walked the road up to the corral and you you were forced to take your belongings and throw them on the side of the road before you hit the corral. Right before the corral, all the majority of the roads are centralized on, on my land. So as you walk up these roads, you're finding artifacts all, all ditched on the side of the road from the massacres. But also uh, when they were inhabiting, I'm thinking the artifacts alone are probably a couple of million dollars at least. Uh, but the hoard of treasure, if it's still down there, it's got to be about 20, 30 feet down. But I have all these different maps, these effigy stones that Native Americans had that they didn't live like we live today, that they lived under starlight. So they'd go into any particular area, pick up a rock, read the stone, you know, see what images of the animals that are in the area, tell stories on the stone and, and you know, kind of write to it themselves. And, yeah, uh, it's just turning out to be the coolest thing. The... This is very interesting. You know what I'm wondering? Why do you think people even decided that gold and and artifacts like this? Uh, why did treasure even need to be buried? It's uh, you know everybody talks about how uh, tribes all over the world have similar stories about uh, similar origin stories and discovered similar technology at the same time. But but I don't know what where did this uh, what, why did, why did everybody decide uh, culturally that if you have this thing at a certain point, the best thing to do with it with it is to hide it in an obscure place 
and maybe someone will discover it in the future. I mean, what is that human impulse? Is there, <laughs> I, I, I find it a little strange. I mean, what, what do you think about that? Well, the, the strange that I heard behind it is uh, as far as the Inca treasure and the Apache treasure and all that, that it's a mine shaft that was hidden because, you know, that's why the wars were being fought. That's why the Spanish came. The Spanish came because of these legendary cities of gold and the evidence of the gold, the, the ore deposits that's in and around that whole pocket is it, it's just untapped. It's a vast amount of ores as well as metals, gold. It's, it's all around that area. That's what they were looking for, but it was being hidden from them. And, you know, it's been hidden for the last, say, 100, 150 years. Yeah. And there's so many legends here about it. I mean, what, what, what exactly is this legend of the old man in the mountain? So the, the, the old man in the mountain is, uh, it's like a symbol. Like, as I mentioned, it, within a 50 to 100 mile radius, these effigy stones that give maps of where the mines are, what the animals are like in the area, the stories behind it, that if, if you'd come out here, right, I could walk, we could go anywhere, not just my family's property. We could go down to, say, the Travertine Quarry, one of anywhere, and pick up a rock, and it'll show the map of where the mine is. Not the treasure, because but the mines have been used for, I would say, hundreds, if not thousands of years, because... Again, I have evidence of when the cities, the lost cities of Lemuria were using the mines, that, that they collected ores and gold, and that's the whole fabled tre treasure uh, of the cities of gold. But then that when that meteor impact happened and the repopulation happened, that as it was re-evolving, the Native Americans were also using that same mine. You can see this on all the stones. It refers to where the mine is. And they had been using this for a couple hundred thousands of years until the Spanish came trying to take it over. So then they hit it all. Like some of the rocks, I even, my Comanche friend who told me the legend of it, I wouldn't have known about this if he didn't tell me about this. And when I was collecting some of the rocks, that there's like this smelt, this coating that was put over the rocks to, to hide the information that the rocks were given. And I was like, I'm almost positive that some of the gold, they had smelted the gold and just made it look like this regular sand and coated the artifacts with the stuff to make it look like just some brown sandstone rock. That you should see some of these rocks, how they're like all covered with this stuff to, to hide it. Yeah, it's very elaborate. Yeah, but seriously, that not just on my family's property or in around that area, you can go within a 50 to 100 mile span. Like there's this place called Laguna. New Mexico, that I was just out in Laguna, which is just is about 40 or 50 miles from here, at least over the weekend. And I picked up a stone and sure enough, it had directions to where the mine was, where my family's land is. It was referring to where the mines were across the mountains. This is fascinating. And I, and I know that, uh, you know, we, we might do a follow up where where you showcase some of these items. I mean, you've sent me some photos and it's been okay. Very incredible. Um, now, this, in your opinion, I mean, again, let let's let's kind of uh, go on the other side of this here. Why is this not just you finding a pattern and saying, "This is see, it's a map. Look, it's an X. Like an X marks the spot." I mean, why why is it why is this more than just wishful thinking? 
Well, the thing is, I think the treasure was there to, you know, just like uh, with, with other stuff that, that, you know, there's stories and stuff that go along with these treasures and everything. And, you know, the guy that's going to find the treasure, uh, I'm thinking that the momentum, when I was talking with somebody about it, the momentum for the Indian Wars, that you could tell how excited everybody was, all the tribes and how, you know, they were looking to get their lands back. And then when they lost, it was so devastating that all the elders were killed off. Many of the tribes were completely eradicated. Uh, the language that this, these effigy stones, these anagrams, I was talking about it the other day. It's a type of language, not like ours, because ours is more of a vocalized language, the way I would describe it, you know, French, Spanish, Latin. It's, it's more of a vocalized language. Whereas these, these anagrams, these effigies, this language, this Native American language is being suppressed, is being eradicated. And you're talking about thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of years of intelligence and information that's just being wiped away. We know this language. We know that the language on these, these items that you found corresponds with other evidence that's out there. Oh, yeah. That... that like the, the way I would describe it is especially with the lost cities, how it tells of like the cataclysm before the stuff happened. And there's these guide stones over in Georgia, the, these monoliths that, that kind of talk about cataclysms and what to do in events of natural disasters. That some of the stuff that I'm coming across is very similar to those guide stones that you find over in Georgia, but they're about the size of your thumb. Uh, when I was in the military, as I mentioned, I was given a waiver for a psych ops program that, you know, look at a map, see where things are type of thing. And the way I would describe it is when I came across these guide stones, it's better than talking. It's just like talking crystal balls, because the one side will have inscriptions on it and effigy that tells stories and stuff. But you on the other side, there's all crystals and you look into it just like you would a crystal ball. And it gives you ideas, thoughts. You can even help make things happen. And the intelligence behind it, and I have physical, tangible proof to back this up, that they were talking not only with the past, but with future civilizations and writing about it within these anagrams, writing about it within these effigy stones. And I have the physical, tangible proof to, to show it. What, what, is, what, what does that even mean, physical proof of this? Okay, so for example... Uh, like some of these stones, you can turn them certain ways and see animals, but then all of a sudden you'll turn them certain ways and the man of the mountain, uh, the legend of the man of the mountain and, and what happened with the treasure and how they hid the treasure in the man, the, the mouth of the man of the mountain who, who hides all, you know, the secrets to the treasure that these uh, effigy stones, you can turn them another way and all of a sudden you're going to see airplanes, you're going to see cars. You turn them another way, you see aliens, you see alien aircraft, and it can get so precise that you can come and talk with the guy in New Mexico, right? Now I'll show you the New Mexico stone. It'll look like an image of New Mexico. And then I can turn it another way. You may see Nevada in there, you know, so like never mind type of thing. But here's one that looks like California and, you know, about the cataclysms and the stories behind these stones and you know, what may happen with California? That, that is California going to go underwater like other people are predicting as well? People like Edgar Casey and Nostradamus type of thing. Yeah. For real. Yeah. Wow. 
uh, and and I mean, really kind of mind-boggling. I'm wondering here, I mean, what you mentioned already sounds a little magical, a little mystical here. Um, are we then saying that? Because one of the one of the ideas that I believe is being touted throughout people that, uh, explore ancient civilizations, uh, especially, you know, the Graham Hancocks of the world, who I will ask you more about in a little bit. But um, there's this idea that these items are – the magic isn't activated anymore. It's The magic's gone in the, in the sense that, you know, Lemuria and Atlantis and, and these uh, – cultures before uh they used to be able to use sound to build these structures that were impossible to build and you used to uh maybe meditate in consciousness and you could achieve things and communicate with extraterrestrials and all this stuff i mean there's there's always this uh, fantastical magical component um but what what do you think is is happening with the items that you found do you believe that they already are are magical do you believe that there's a ritual here that it has been lost that also is is part of the grand narrative of of us coming together again and becoming one consciousness i mean wh where does this fit in well the, the 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 way i would describe it is the uh the the stuff that i'm finding is especially the momentum behind it um there's there's uh there's deities right just the same way as we have the american eagle for the united states the uh like with lemuria they had this hawk-like deity as well and you can see it in the inscriptions as well that they go to talk to the other generations one way i would describe it is the way that we're living right now is is more confusing and it's harder to live than how they had lived back then and you can see this in the stones how they describe that and that's why I call them the guidestones because they're trying to help out uh, with you know seeing what the cataclysm's happening, you know, seeing what we're doing over here. But they were living a lot easier over there. You know, sometimes you know they don't want to hear from us the way I would describe it. And you know, talking crystal balls, all that magic behind it, yeah, it's it's great. Uh, but and it can be proven empirically. You know, talking crystal walls. There's a professor on the East Coast who's already proven time travel. I mean, we have the physical, tangible, uh, like technology to prove to back up all this stuff. Now it's just you know whether or not we're going to use this information for the betterment of people. I guess the way I would describe it. Wait, now this is interesting. So I'm trying to figure out if you're living a different version of reality than uh the 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 sheeple that we are um in the sense that are you are you yourself it, it, let, let's say i were to go out there to new mexico or, or wherever you are um and and see these see these items i mean i just have this picture of you holding up these rocks and going look at this and look at this and see look at this civilization and i'm standing there like uh you know mr pitt on seinfeld looking at the magic eye and going i just don't see it i just don't see the image um i mean could could that be the case or are you telling me that anyone would be able to sense the magic that is inherent in these items well they'll definitely sense the magic in it um the apache treasure had you know the massacres had a lot of there's supposedly, you know, the Apache curse, 
the lost Dutchman's curse uh, because of stuff, the wars that happened behind it, but all the other stuff that was before it and, and around it as well, the, with the ancient cities, you know, you can see the magic. You can definitely feel the magic, but uh, there is uh, there is a lot of sad part. There, there certainly is a sad part to it, the way I would describe it. I, I was talking with somebody, I think a, a lady in the bank the other day talking about the story. And when I was in the military, I was given a waiver. Uh, like one of my things was field sanitation. Like I mentioned, you know, stuff that was processed up at that well. Some people couldn't stomach, you know, when you, when I was, when I'm out there picking up some stuff and just seeing what happened behind it, all that stuff that's ditched on the side of the road, you know, the elders all the way down to the little kids and what happened to them all and what they were put through. It's, it's pretty sad. You know, it's, it's got a lot of happiness to it, you know, with the caverns and all the mystique and the history behind it. But then, you know, some of the stuff that you're seeing, yeah, you know, it's, 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 it, it, it can hurt pretty bad. Tell me a little more about the PSYOPs program you were involved in, because it seems that you did uh, a lot of interesting research there. Yeah, the, well, I have a website on nutritional psychology. That, that's what brought me out here to New Mexico the, to finish a degree. I was looking for like the answers to all the bad stuff out there, all the diseases and stuff. So when I was on in the military helping out with the, the Bosnia peace mission, the, the Iraqi war, that it was a small unit. I can talk about it now because this is decades ago, but we were on secret assignment, you know, kind of shuffling people in and out of places in the middle of the night type of thing. And I was doing work on the side with my psychology, you know, finishing my undergraduate degree. And I came across the psych ops program uh, and I approached the Lieutenant Colonel. I was like, Hey, you know, uh, you have to be a captain or above, but I'm not looking to do the placement part. I don't want to, you know, go down to Virginia and do all these different classroom trainings. I just want to check, take a look at the correspondence part and, uh, you know, see how it can relate to the stuff that I'm doing. And he, he had enough confidence in me to sign off on it. And so that's like, I graduated from West Point because you have to be like a captain or above. So I took the ball and ran with it. When I was doing my work with psychology, you know, looking for the answers to all the bad diseases and i call it like illegal hypnosis because you don't want to get illegally hypnotized you don't want to get the common cold or you don't want to get cancer or mad cow's disease and you know covid or whatever right i was gonna but, say what have you found out about this i mean this could be remarkable you're not uh kevin trudeau i'm not about to sign up for your infomercial am i i mean did you did you discover the source of these uh these diseases these ailments is it psychosomatic is do yeah. are there remedies i mean what, what what is your take yeah i mean if you look at today's technology the thinking of like 3d printers and holographic imagery there's this thing called curlian photography it was developed by a, it was a Russian scientist back in like the fifties, I believe. Yes. It, it, it can capture energy levels that emanate off of people. And the technology we have today is kind of like you saw in those Star Trek episodes where Dr. McCoy can walk up to you with a smart device, put a magnetic field around you, see what the disease is and zap you with the cure. I mean, we're building this stuff as we speak. This is, I mean, are we talking med beds here? Um, I mean, it's really interesting stuff, but the, 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 the way I would describe it is if you give out the answer to any one disease without addressing the root causes, you're just going to have another three to follow and find yourself in trouble, Kevin, for opening your mouth about it. Because if you're not addressing the politics behind it, the animal intelligence, I know this is going to sound weird, but animal intelligence had been around for millennia before human evolution happened. And just like with the native 
American languages that I was just talking here, if you can talk just like the natives talk with those animals, if you tap on that stuff, you can see the anger that's out there. And, and that's what we're going through today in today's present age, you know, with all the diseases and the crime rates and all that, especially the United States. United States, I think, has tripled the crime rate from any other place around the world because, you know, we were a harbor when the colonies started, that, that all the criminals and stuff were put into the colonies to kind of see what's out there. <laughs> But this is, I mean, you know, if the military, well, this is where I get confused because uh, it's hard to know who is the enemy and who isn't. I mean, if the military has this program where they're having you look into this. Um, oh, no. Yeah, no, I did this on my, I did this on my own. The, okay. Because the... I would say there'd probably be a, an agenda, right? I mean, isn't that the whole thing that big pharma is tied to the lobbyists, which is tied to the military industrial complex? Therefore, they're going to do everything they can to keep the diseases going. What do you think yeah. about that? Well, uh, I mean, yeah, because because you know there is a cash cow to it, and there's a lot of politics behind it. So if the politics aren't being addressed, the ones that do know about it, that yeah, you know, the, the there's ones that are doing the right things behind it, and then the ones that are like, hey, you know, uh, you know, I we've been doing this for centuries. This is our way of life. You either like it or not. You know, is there a way to find it? Is there a way to get to the root cause? Well, you know, everybody lives their own life. The, the way I would describe it, I'm not looking to be a philosopher about any of this. That you know, I'm, it's really cool that I came across this treasure, and it's bringing everybody together, and you know, to talk about cool stories and stuff. But you know, at the end of the day, uh, the way I would describe it, this this one girl that I met recently, drop dead gorgeous girl, that that she's like, so what's it like out here? And I was like, well, you know, I'm from New York, but you know, I'm a city kid. That I grew up in the, you know, just outside of New York City. Uh, the country style, it's nice out here. It's a lot more open and things are better and healthier. But for example, there's a rodeo right near the, the, the town that I moved into is literally about two or three times the size of the high school that I went to in New York. It's that small of a town, but there's a rodeo over here. I've never been to a rodeo. I'm like a vegan, vegetarian, macrobiotic about things. You know, those root causes, you know, being nice with the animals and the environment and all that. And I, I, there's a rodeo that I pass by every single weekend and have for the last 20 years, but I've never been to a rodeo and I don't want to go to the rodeo, you know, and maybe that's how I came across this treasure. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What do you mean by that? The, you know, with all the animals and all that stuff that's been slaughtered and, uh, you know, how people are led to do things, especially human evolution, you know, we're, we're part of it just like anything else. And, uh, uh, the, I, I don't think I would have been able to find the treasure or, you know, come across this if not, not just, you know, for the betterment of humanity, but, you know, betterment of just the environment itself, you know, the, the stuff that's going on with Russia, how they're trying to take the gas uh, from the Ukraine and all that, the whole politics behind that, that, you know, there's, there's better ways of doing things that, that you know, there's more better, uh, say, uh, technology like you know those electric cars are, are better you know it's uh, hey triggers. quick quick hitter on that what are your thoughts on tartaria is that real uh what, what is it called uh tartaria it's uh i've heard it, it might be just a psyop from the russians that they're they're what they have their own atlantis that there was an advanced russian eastern european civilization and oh, well, the proof that I'm coming across, like, and that's that's one other thing that that like Tanzanite, right? 
as far as we know, tanzanite can only be found in Africa, right? I've got tanzanite. I'm finding tanzanite all over the place. Like, has how, that been verified? Did you go to a geologist or someone? Uh, I haven't. Uh, I haven't. I haven't talked with a geologist. I went to one geologist, but I messed up. I, di I didn't bring the correct samples with me, and I didn't bring my tester with me. Uh, so, so you. I, so, are how confident are you that it's tanzanite? Uh, I would say, I would say I'm about eighty-five to ninety-three percent because I have like this gem tester that every every piece that I'm testing is testing as tanzanite. So the one geologist that I brought out to the site last weekend, and I wish I should have talked with him because I've already talked with two geologists. I just, you know, sometimes I get caught up with stuff and get too excited and I forget about other things that I wanted to discuss. So I have this whole like little pile of tanzanite stuff sitting in my living. You should see my living room right now. I've got about 5,000 pieces of artifacts, like a little museum set up in my living room for when they, uh, when I talked with the geologist last weekend and his archaeologist friends. Uh, I was supposed to talk with Henry Waltz earlier today, which is the descendant of Jacob Waltz, the lost Dutchman from the lost Dutchman mine. And uh, he had to cancel because uh, something came up. But hopefully we're going to get together at the end of next week and talk about it all. But I got like 5,000 and every single piece is some sort of artifact, tool, effigy stone. Uh, it's like all over the place. Yeah. And you know yeah. what? Uh, next time... Uh... I, I'm trying to pick someone up. I mean, I'm going to tell her that I know someone that found the Apache treasure. I'll see if that, I'll see if that one works uh, for me. I don't know, man. I don't know. I mean, uh, it's uh... a... <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean to get off topic, but uh, the Tanzanite, it's, we traded with the other nations. It, it shows proof because if this Tanzanite that I'm finding on my land, if it's not an ore deposit that I have here, an underdiscovered ore deposit that could be larger than what they have in Africa... It, it, it would at least prove trade routes that that some of these coins that I'm finding of Lemuria that, or these uh, lost cities of gold, the coins have different shapes to them to represent the different cities of the seven cities. There were seven cities in well, Lemuria. The, well, the fabled treasure, I mean, the fabled seven cities of gold, the Cibola, uh cities of gold, they called it the seven cities of gold. Lemuria is it was a continent that perished from a cataclysm and you can find like all sorts of information about it you know or at least what historians are trying to gather of it and but the rock solid proof that i'm hope that i'm finding over here for example i have a piece of travertine right and this is from the quarry not from my land this is a, a travertine quarry close by that i was just looking to get rocks to do landscape on i have fossilized jewelry like gold fossilized jewelry that, and fossilization takes over 10 million years to occur. And this is like tangible proof of it. I mean, this is a fossilized piece of jewelry. Yeah. Wow. 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 This is pretty interesting. We're not talking like Egyptian thousands of years ago. We're talking like million eons ago where evolution and re-evolution happened. And these stones tell the story, like the Russian psychops thing you were referring to. Uh, and I apologize. I didn't mean to get off track. The way I was describing it to other people with the rocks, I know myself that I could go within 100 miles of this place and pick up a rock and it'll give me directions. It'll give me information on the various areas. I'm almost positive. I could probably walk over to Africa or South America right now or over to Europe and look for the same type of stuff and start reading on the same stuff.
Yeah, you did tell me very early on in our conversation that you are trained in uh, looking for maps and stuff. There was the, uh, what, what is the $20 bill thing? You got to talk about that. I mean, that is a wild thing that you landed on. Yeah, so so when I moved over here, right, Roswell is a big thing over here, right? And because uh, I'm not too far from Roswell. And that's one of the things when I came across this meteor impact, I was like, is this what aliens were looking for? You know, with that Roswell crash that's just over the mountains, just south of us. And uh, the the old $20 bills have pictures of aliens on them the, the with the big heads and the black guys that, uh, you know, it's, it's like uh, subliminal conditioning. Because when I talk with a friend over here, you know, locals, that he was saying that our government has been in contact with alien intelligence for, for a couple of decades now. And, and I have stories I could talk about myself, but, you know, people do get scared about this stuff, you know, because I, I had one guy, when I was talking about aliens once when I was a kid, he, he literally jumped me, almost killed me, because he, he was like, you know, no, aliens don't exist, trust me, aliens. And some of the stories from the Native Americans over here, the aliens had come and harvested them, just like we harvest cows and pigs and everything, that those Mayan ruins, those Inca ruins, the reason why people are, aren't there is because they were harvested. And there's some of these stones, there's this place called Chaco Canyon over here that they were all herded into and the aliens took them away. Uh, what? <laughs> really? How do, um, who, who is, who is verifying these claims? I mean, these are, I mean, I, I'm not going to say I didn't, yeah. don't well, believe these, you, but I want to know more. Yeah. These are stories. Um, a lot of these stories are passed by, down word of mouth, like, like ancient Tiwa, Southern Tanoan language, uh, the Southern Tiwa language. This is, it's not a written language. It's a spoken language. It's a behavioral that passes down stories from generations to generations. And what happened in Chaco Canyon that, yeah, people were harvested. Uh, you know, the great, the, and if our government is in contact with alien intelligence, um, the stuff that I heard on it, uh, if you look up Valiant Thor, that have you ever heard of the, the story? Actually, you're the one who told me about Valiant Thor, but you need to, you need to shed some light on this for, for the people that don't know, please talk okay. to me. Okay. So, so like with these aliens and these effigy stones, give me a second here, these aliens, these effigy stones that talk of the aliens and all that valiant thor was more humanoid looking and he revolved around the white house during the 1950s that that he had talked with top world leaders to kind of let them know what was happening that with the cataclysm and re-evolution had to happen over the span of a couple of eons uh but this is what happened and this is what we can do to help shape things and you know it's you know do you want to go down it this way or do you want to go down it this way you know do you want to help evolution happen this way or do you want to be part of evolution this way is the way i would describe it but again if you look up valiant thor it makes more sense to the stuff that he was describing that uh like for example there's this gathering of nations over here where all the native americans uh come together and they have these powwows and, and we talk together and everything there's really old tribes talk about longevity and, you know, those root causes that I was referring to that, you know, hey, get the, get the salmon after they spawn, you know, when they're dying off at the, you know, don't catch them when they're coming up, you know, right from the, when they're trying to spawn, get them after they've spawned, a type of thing. Uh, that's kind of what he was kind of tapping on with those world leaders and kind of letting them know this is how war happens. This is how disease happens. If you don't want. What is the original story? Did he, he's from Venus, right? 
Um, I didn't read that. I, I heard something about that. But the, the take that I got on it is that, yeah, you know, he was just from another constellation. Like I, I was a part of this group in New York when I lived in New York because I'm from New York. And it was called the Eyes of Learning, largest metaphysical nonprofit uh, discussion group, I think, in the country. But they have these psychic fairs, uh, talk about alien intelligence, all this stuff. And just like I'm talking with you, that I went to this UFO conference one year and these people uh, using telepathy, psychokinesis, which I'm well aware of myself, but you have to be trained in this stuff. You have to know what you're talking about, not just be like witchcraft and psychologists or whatever. You have to know your stuff about it. But just like I'm talking with you, they know the constellations that they live in. They can subscribe them. They have names for them and everything. Uh, but they're made into stories because, you know, some of these civilizations don't want to be contacted because they see what's going on over here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm always interested in stories of the elders and the Hopi and and people that yeah. still are practicing uh, their traditions and the way they talk about star people and the legend. I mean, it's it's clear that there is something going on here. Now, the other part of me, the the skeptical side is going, well, is it all just allegory? Is it all just, you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, well, let me ask you this. Were you always somebody that believed in in these supernatural or esoteric alien extraterrestrial things? Or was there an inciting incident that made you go, OK, there's more than waking regular life? What happened? Well I mean, the thing is, when you get tangible physical evidence, when you get empirical evidence that, that you can't be disproved, you have too much overwhelming evidence, empirical evidence to prove things that, like, for example, mermaids and mermen, that I don't know if you saw that Discovery Channel special that scientists had proven that mermaids and mermaids, uh, mermen and mermaids exist. Now, wasn't that a scam, right? They did an April Fool's no. thing. No, no, it's for real, because... The stuff that I'm finding that that lost city of the lost cities of gold, Lemuria and all that. Yeah, they have physical empirical evidence of mermen and mermaids. And not only did they meet at the coastlines that they were part of this nation, they were part of the cities of gold that they didn't process. They didn't trade materials at the coastlines with the terrestrial humans. They processed materials that they all collected for the nation. And I have proof of this showing in these stones that were scribed, some of the artifacts that I've collected, because I'll find like a fossilized rattlesnake head, right? Or a fossilized like monitor lizard head. I have like these lizard heads that are like fossilized that are uh, almost like 10 inches wide, right? Uh, but the caps of a merman or a mermaid that, that uh, I guess it's like the cone, very similar to like a whale or a dolphin where it's like a prized treasure from the, I have, I, I have physical tangible proof. I have uh, some stuff, some stones that depict the mermen and the mermaids, how they lived in the side of the mountains. Those like the catacombs, just like the terrestrial humans lived in the caves above water. Yeah, this is, uh, I mean, I've seen some of these, some of these rocks. And again, I'm, I'm kind of, yeah, you're going to have to point some of the stuff out to me when I look at it uh, more in depth. But there definitely are some there's some interesting patterns in them. Um, and you're the, the idea is what you're saying is that these patterns are too intricate to just be natural. Something Correct. 
Yeah, it's it's too overwhelming to be disproved. The the physical evidence that I have, like all the inscriptions that show the pictures of the mermaid, the mermaids, and how they fought together uh, against, say, the Vikings. That I've been told that there's Viking mounds where Vikings are buried in around this area as well. That uh, before Columbus had came, that on different trade routes with those uh, before the cataclysms, that the land masses there were different trade routes, and there's proof of Vikings over here as well. Yeah. Is there any uh, are are there any rocks you found that you've determined are just rocks? That I mean, they're all rocks, but these some of the rocks are carved to have images, stories. Some of them have inscriptions on it, and you know, people like, hey, you know, you could have did this yourself. You could have made this with a three D printer or a laser printer and all that stuff, and just you know, collected all this stuff over the last couple of years. Hey, if you have a team of archaeologists or anybody, come out here. That just like I walked the property with the geologists and the archaeologists last weekend, that you can see it everywhere. When you walk the property, take a shovel in your hand yourself. Come out here and and just dig a hole in the ground. You'll start coming across it yourself. See it for yourself. Yeah. Okay. Well, I I like that you're 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 not afraid to go to people that are experts in their fields, uh, you know, mineralogists and archaeologists. Oh yeah. You're you're yeah. willing to put this stuff to the test. Oh yeah. I mean, one professional to the other. As I mentioned, I graduated from one of the best medical colleges in the world, not just the country, top two percent in the world for medicine. I trained at the top military research facility, I'm sorry, the top military training facility in the nation, right after September 11th, that I had trained at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, which is the top military research facility in the nation at the time. Uh, when, I was, when I did my first tour uh, back in like the early 90s, I had sent my research. That's when I was given that waiver for the psych ops program. When I, I was touching on this stuff, I sent my research off to Army Natick in Virginia, which at the time is the top military research facility in the nation. And you can see the choices that you have in the military, the, the stuff behind it, where instead of wool blankets, you can have synthetic materials, synthetic boots, uh, you know, because that animal intelligence that I don't want to be wearing a leather boot if I'm going to be trying to talk to all these holy cows and everything about things. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And um, certainly, I mean, I'm not going to, you know, uh, snub you on your background. It seems that that you definitely um, <laughs> have have some kind of uh, mind that that pays attention to the fine details in a way that uh, is it, important when it comes to any of these academic matters. Um, but here's what I'll say. I want to know how this does fit in to what Graham Hancock is talking about with the global cataclysm. I mean, he, he did a whole book. There's a, there's the ancient apocalypse show on Netflix, obviously. And he's been talking for years about, uh, civilization before the ice age It contradicts, uh, you know, the main narrative. And then he wrote oh, a yeah. book about America and how a lot of the evidence is here. I mean, yeah. does this fit into the larger picture and how? Easily, easily, because I have all the empirical evidence. I mean, he, if he wants to trade rocks, if he wants to come out here and see the stuff too, I can show him everything that I got out here because it's, it's hardcore physical, tangible evidence. It's not something just, you know, stories. And it, we're talking physical, tangible evidence that, for example, uh, you know, when the archaeologists were taking a look at the property, I, I said to him, I was like, hey, you know, if you look down on the ground, you can see 
that this was purposely put here to to you know to get people's attention to talk to that stuff the cataclysms and all that edgar casey if you're familiar with who edgar casey is he, he was a pretty famous psychic from back in the 1920s he talked about this stuff too he believed in reincarnation and uh in one of his memoirs he said by the year 2100 that he was living in indiana and he described what the americas looked like that california had finally given gotten underwater that the the, the fault line, the San Andreas fault had given way, and there were new coastlines along, uh, say, Nevada. I talked with a, a nun recently, a Buddhist nun, because they were all into reincarnation too. And fairly recently, within the last couple of years at least. And I asked her, I was like, hey, you know, Edgar Casey, he was talking about this cataclysm that's going to happen where, you know, the California is going to go all underwater. Were you hearing the same thing? Because I was given this waiver for a psych ops program. And, you know, I, I kind of heard things about September 11th before it happened, this COVID. I have the recording to prove it. I I have a, I was talking about the COVID like a year and a half. I was like, what's going to happen? Somebody's going to throw out a mass pandemic to the world to get everybody's attention on depopulation and things. And sure enough, it happened. I have the recording to prove it. But, uh, you know, with this Edgar Casey. And I asked this nun, did you hear the same thing? She's like, yeah, actually we did. The, the uh, parts of the Finger Lakes are going to bleed down into like the Mississippi region. It's going to form new coastlines along Wisconsin. Florida is going to go underwater as well. Yeah. You kind of like Oh, oh gosh. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, this is, this is fascinating stuff. Um, that I, I makes me wonder if we need to leave this country. Well, I, I mean, it's, it's, it, when that happens, right. Cause, cause a couple of weeks ago, I don't know if you saw it in the news, but there was like a, a, a mild eruption in like a Northern part of California as well. And that's bringing people, you know, getting scared about those predictions where the Nostradamus is predicting that, you know, the apocalypse is going to happen. Edgar Casey, uh, other people are hearing the same thing. People are getting prepared for things the way I would describe it is because when that happens, right, it's going to affect global it's going to affect the world like globally, I would say for about four or five years that it's going to affect the weather conditions. It's, it's totally going to like eradicate things where people are going to want to know how to live underground and know how to, you know, make live in a bubble basically was it comes down to because you, you can prevent a war from happening. You can prevent yourself from doing a bad thing. But when that storm is coming, you can't you can't stop the storm. You can protect yourself from it. And that's all you can do. So, Have you thought about this yourself? Are you are you a prepper? Uh, I, I would say I'm, I, I wouldn't consider myself a prepper. But look what's in front of your face. The way I would describe it is, you know, what's in front of my face at the time? It, it, what am I hearing? What am I seeing type of thing? Like when I heard about like when i talked with my friends about september 11th i didn't know it was going to be the towers but they were like hey kevin you know why are you going back in the military and i was like well nothing for nothing they treated me really good you know the psych ops program i just got my degree from one of the best medical colleges in the world for my undergraduate in psychology that if what i heard was correct something big is going to happen in new york you guys are going to be fine on the island but something big is going to happen in new york and sure enough it happened the day i was supposed to go back in the military the second time September 11th happened. And now what, is, what does that mean? Does that mean that this, are you implying that this was a planned thing by the government or, or that you knew about the, the that it was a terrorist attack and, and people just weren't going to act on it? I mean, what, what, are, what are the implications well, here? 
um, I, I just heard something was going to happen in New York, and and that that some, I didn't know it was going to be a terrorist attack. That it, I, I just heard something like a, a catastrophe was going to happen in New York, and now you can prevent a war from happening. You can prevent you know yourself from doing bad things. You know that was that was Bin Laden. Uh, I don't think Saddam had any part of it, uh, but as far as this uh, this apocalypse, yeah, people are going to want to go down into the subways when it, when when they see it's going to happen, right? Because uh, at least my understanding of it, people see this happening. The preppers, yeah, they're not living in the cities. They're they're like where I am right now. I live in the middle of nowhere, on the far outreaches of like su su like suburbia, the the like the urban development. I'm like right in between the forests and, and all that place. I'm not near the major cities, but when that stuff happens, you know, it's going to, it's going to affect everybody. So you're going to have to live underground for a couple of years and people are getting ready for it. Those catacombs that I was talking about, how I was led to find this treasure. I was led to find this treasure, probably to these catacombs because, Hey, you know, this is that treasure can keep you happy and everything. But when this happens, you're going to be dead. You're not going to be able to do anything with the treasure. This is where you need to be. That's what I was. Yeah, I mean, you you better take advantage of this now, my friend. Um, I I I would go to Vegas. I would, uh, <laughs> I would see all the Cirque du Soleil shows, every single one. Uh, they'll let you trade quartzite, won't they? Um, no, but, but, but in all seriousness, I mean, my question for you is, um, now the what's at the end of this? Like, what is because it seems like you've discovered some things. Yeah. It's, well, it seems that there's a mine involved still. Is there a, is this still, are we in the middle of this Indiana Jones movie? Are we going to get a big discovery that, and are you prepared to find, uh, oh, yeah. you know, the big, yeah, what is it? Yeah. I mean, the, the Indian artifacts alone from the Apache treasure where the, the, the arrowheads and all the stuff that was collected by the elders before they went over the mountain, that alone is probably a couple million dollars. But the, the, the horde, if there's a Civil War horde or that Aztec horde, you're talking like $2 billion because the, the, the way it was told to me, Kevin, there's 3,100 gold bars. 3,100 gold bars. If you do the math behind it, because a gold bar, right? Uh, a gold bar is what? $15,000? A pound of gold goes for what? $15,000, $20,000, right? I, yeah, sure. <laughs> I, I actually don't know the answer, but um, let's assume it does. Yeah, so so one pound gold bar of gold goes for about, uh, uh, goes for about $15,000, $20,000. Think of 3,100 gold bars. If you do the math behind it, you're talking $3 billion worth of treasure that's hoarded down there. Uh, I mean, I just bought this property, to, to, but I'm a very educated person. You know, I, I was probably led into the story like I'm the Indiana Jones part of the story. I'm the Indiana Jones in the story, that I was the guy, the educated guy that found it and had enough interest to look into it. Because I'll be honest, the... Like the guy, some other people may not have noticed. An, uned an uneducated person probably would not have been able to put all this stuff together. Uh, Are you going to go after it? Are you? Is that the oh, goal yeah. right now? Oh yeah. That if the the way I'm looking at it right now is, if anything, it's a really cool mine shaft because all the maps, all these effigy stones, talk of at least the story. So 
when I talk to the geologists, this is really cool. Catacombs and all that. If there's water down there, right? Because the water table isn't very uh, low down here. The water table is pretty high. We're very close to the Rio Grande River. If there's catacombs, I said to him, I was, like, I was like, I'll go down there with my kayak, man. Even if there's not a treasure, if the treasure was taken, because all the stories tell that something was hidden there. But uh, another way I would describe it, you could tell that things have been looted. Just the same way as I come back with a backpack full of treasure every time I go out there. The place has been looted for the last, I would say, 30, 40 years from the ones that do know about it. Because now we have the vehicles that can get out there. We can get out there a whole lot more safer and be protected. Whereas back in the day when it was like horse and buggy, it took you like two or three days to get out there. And whether or not it was even safe, what type of weather conditions you were going to hit when you go out there. Because you're out in the middle of nowhere and you're just subjected to the elements. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, what is it besides the equipment? Is there any knowledge or specific directions you've been able to pick up from what you've discovered so far that lets you think they couldn't find it back then, but I now believe I know the way? Well, uh, I, I think other people, people, some people are probably afraid of it, that, you know, the, the legends behind it, that it's cursed and all that stuff or uh, or you know, just didn't have the intelligence to put everything together. Didn't have the, maybe the training or the background. Cause, cause you know, I have some pretty good military training, you know, the, even within the military, some of the military personnel don't come across this type of security clearances. Don't, don't come across this type of stuff. Uh, maybe rightfully so like, you know, field sanitation. There's some things out there that people don't want to see or don't need to see or, or really shouldn't see, can't see the way I would describe it. Uh, you know, because the anger that, like I mentioned, you know, reading some of those stones, the animal intelligence and how the, the wars happen and the cataclysms and stuff. Yeah, you can prevent a war and a disease from happening and all that stuff, but the cataclysms, okay, get yourself prepared. Where you're at right now, just the same way as when I picked up the stone that showed me, Kevin, you're standing at X marks the stop, spot. It's the legend, how some people, it's, it's under his nose. No, I was already on top of it. When I picked up the stones, I wasn't under his nose. I was on top of it. Yes. Um, is, is, is Sean Connery your father? Just curious. He's really cool. The like medicine man and all that 007. <laughs> just wondering, man, just wondering. Hey, look, I mean, at least they're not going to have to deep fake you in, in the documentary of this, uh, like they're doing with Harrison Ford right now for this fifth movie. Um, but you know what? I I I'm very curious if you're gonna be able to crack this code. I mean, it sounds as if that it it has its risks. Sounds yeah. like it could be dangerous. Uh, what what happens if you discover nothing? Would you be disappointed? Would you be let down? Well, I mean, if I don't, if there's not gold bars or Inca treasure, just the artifacts that I have already like this golden hawk, the way I would describe it. Like if you've ever seen the movie, the old movie, Clash of the Titans, the older version, where he gets this golden owl and everything. I have this golden hawk that has like Egyptian inscriptions on it. Uh, you turn it different ways. It tells us the stories. Like I mentioned, those those aircraft, the cars, that uh, just the stuff that I've collected alone is just a really cool story. And even if there's not treasure down there, that which I think there is, and it's not going to take very much money to get down there to dig down there. That that 
the right way to do things is do it through a team of professionals and archaeologists because the historical stuff, the the significance for the museums and all that stuff, instead of you know just hoarding it all and selling it off all on eBay and the different marketplaces, you know there's there, there's good stuff behind here that should that should go into museums. It's like Indiana Jones said that this stuff needs to go to museums. It needs to go to academic universities for for betterment of people. Yeah, though I would question academic universities because I mean, aren't these the guys sometimes suppressing this knowledge? Well, that's that's how it was told to me by some local Native Americans that it's a behavioral language that that you know they were shipped off to these parochial schools, taken away from their families at the tribes, and put into these parochial schools and basically force fed that you know their way of life. That that no, you're not going to live the way of life. That this is how you live your life. And uh, that language, that way of life, the, the way it was described to me is it's being suppressed, it's being eradicated. And the, the, what led me to this, it's, it, it's not gonna happen. The way I would describe it is that eradication that, that a friend or the lady at the bank was talking to me about, it's not gonna happen. Because, when, when don't you create a museum? Uh, no. <laughs> I mean, if I had the money to do it, you know, that would be really cool, that would, you know, but uh, just put in a planetarium. That's all I ask, Kevin. I, want planet, a nice... right? I mean, it'd be a really nice. Uh, yeah. You know, just make a, like a like a stop and go. It, it, if there is something down there, you know, if I get the funding behind it, I mean, why not? You know, everybody likes going to the everybody likes going to the carnival. Everybody likes going to the show. Yeah. Hey, this is a great show right now. And by the way, before we go, I want to know some more about the curses of this treasure. What are the legends? What? Why, why is it cursed? Um, well, be, because I think they said the tears, the, the tears of the old man of the mountain, that like the road, that the way I would describe it is when you're standing on my property, right? And you can see the corral all the way up the road, uh, but you see the old man of the mountain right in front of you. He's like right there on the face of the man of the mountain that he has tears, you know, when everybody was forced to walk the road and throw your stuff at the side of the road where you then tortured, tortured and massacred and uh, all that stuff that uh, the way he described it to me, uh, you know, we were just looking around for artifacts. So, we, you know, it was just like talking. He's like, yeah, the, the Apache treasure, all the Indians got, the tribes got together, hid the treasure uh, with the attempt of coming back, but they weren't able to come back. They they were all massacred, eradicated, and everything. So the treasure was hidden, and the person that's going to find the treasure is going to walk the trail and feel the tears of all the tribes. Yeah, how do you how do you, that's uh that's Sometimes I have to go home, man. <laughs> I was going to say, is there a way to get this treasure without the tears, man? Tre treasure without tears. I mean, it's uh, the next self-help movement for archaeologists. Um, yeah, I mean, what, what, what do you think? Can, do, you, do you think you have the metaphysical know-how to withstand the curse? Oh, yeah. Well, like I mentioned, that military psych ops program, that some people can't stomach that type of stuff. That if you try to like look to see what happened, you don't want to see what happened. You don't want to even try to feel that. The the pain, the anger, that those trails, I sometimes when I'm picking up stuff, those spirits, it'll drive somebody absolutely crazy. I mean, absolutely crazy. That that uh, you know, and uh, but you know, I have a degree in psychology that that, you know, I'm trained in this. I, I've worked in the fields of psychology, so 
when I worked in New York, for example, I worked for the longest running mental health agency on Long Island, their most prestigious house. I was their like house manager. And we're talking people, the consumers just outside of padded rooms, people that are subjected to stuff that uh, it's just setting. You, you never want to see people go through this. That, you know, when they say that, you know, the worst way to die is like a shark attack, stuff like that, that people that have mental disease and all that stuff uh, being subjected by those angry spirits that, that those root causes. Sometimes I was out there picking stuff up. It comes home with you that, that I had to go home that I, you know, I literally, you know, just packed up my bag and I was like, I can't do this right now. I need to go home. Very eerie. And yeah. fascinating. Uh, wow. Okay. So we found the treasure. Well, you haven't found the treasure yet, but you found treasures that are going to lead you to a bigger treasure. I mean, uh, look, I, I definitely want to see more of this stuff. I want you to point out where the patterns are. I want you to point out where the mermaids are and, and extraterrestrial uh, activity here. Um, and, and maybe we can do that. I mean... Uh, before we go, what are you hoping? You're talking to these archaeologists, you're, you're talking to mineralogists, and maybe even geologists eventually. Is there anything specifically you're hoping to hear from them or, or looking to yeah. help you verify what you found? Well, when I talk with Henry Waltz, which is the descendant of Jacob Waltz, the, the lost Dutchman, Henry Waltz also heads the Isleta Nation over here. One of the Pueblos, it's the Isleta Pueblo. He's the head of the Isleta Nation. Uh, he already knows the whole story behind this, the, you know, how his father, how his ancestor had found the, the mind shared the, the knowledge with the Native Americans. He knows of the Indian Wars, what they went through. If anything, because excuse me my intent was to purchase the property to just build a house you know get a retirement home and you know live out in the country in a nice open space and watch the grass grow and see the cows go home and everything but with all this stuff finding around the property that's that that should be made in like you mentioned a museum a historical site that people can visit and understand you know what happened there and uh you know, the story behind it and what's the good thing to do behind that story. Yeah. I, I would, uh, I, I, I hope that this, uh, $3 billion appears. Yeah, um, I, <laughs> I mean, is it kind well, of like real life hitting the lottery Re real life version of it? Not just, well, the way I look at it, right. Because if it's civil war treasure, right. That's the gold bars from civil war that the government would confiscate because it's it's government property, uh, Civil War treasure. But Inca treasure, from my understanding of it, and this is how I was told, like the artifacts. When I started finding the artifacts, I was like, should I even be touching this stuff? That uh, Because, you know, it's artifacts that, that um, some countries have it that if you find stuff, you have to report it in and it gets collected immediately by the state. So when I started finding the artifacts and I talked to the covenant about it, they were like, no, Indian artifacts, there, there's no laws in place that you can collect Indian artifacts, especially on your own land. Uh, on state land, you can get permits to go out there and collect and look for mine and ores and stuff. But if you own the land, especially if you have the mineral rights, if you're finding gold and stuff, you have the mineral rights. The artifacts, there's no laws in place to say that you can't collect Indian artifacts. Civil War stuff, Civil War stuff, though, 
from my understanding of it, is that there are laws in place that it has to be handed in uh, if you find it, uh, anything related to U.S. history. But this is going back before the United States. So if there's Inca treasure there, the government may be able to come and get the gold bars. And that would be great because that'll help stimulate the economy the way I would look at it. And the amount of treasure that's there, my family already has enough money. As I mentioned, I'm a, I'm a descendant of one of the presidents that I have like this royal plate that I'm going to inherit, you know, the Golden Corral, that restaurant, how you can talk to the wind and stuff. So my family has enough money that I don't really have to worry about that stuff. So, you know, if this historical site can go back to the Native Americans that, that you know, as as a learning experience, as, you know, a place that they can visit, the, the Civil War gold can go back to the United States to help stimulate the economy. If there's a couple of Inca bars for there, all right, yeah, let's all go out to dinner. Let's all get a nice steak dinner tonight. <laughs> I know, I was going to say, I mean, what do I have to do to win you over, man? <laughs> I got to figure out if, if this is real. I mean, I got to get on your good side, Kevin. Um <laughs> It, it, uh, right. Another way I described it is just like you have a bank vault, you know, like a bank vault in a building, those big old giant steel vaults, those rooms that you can walk into. It's the same thing, but it's in the middle of a field that was it's it's like a natural Native American bank vault that, that one tribe of Native Americans, when those Indian wars were happening, everything was put into the vault for safekeeping and nobody was able to come back. Oh, boy. I hope this isn't an Al Capone's vault kind of thing. I'm almost positive that there's got to be stuff down there that, that I'm expecting. Uh, as far as the Lost Padres mine, it's also called the Adam Diggings mine, that it all refers to this field that where a mine shaft or mine shafts come out of nowhere in this field. And they all refer to the same thing, the Adam's Diggings, the Lost Padres mine, the Lost Dutchman's mine. And the gold that's in there, the way they describe it is it's like popcorn, but the size of the popcorns are almost as big as the palm of your hand. This is wild. Very wild, man. I, I, Hey, I love what you're doing. I, I'm honored that you shared this with me. Uh, we have the, the Lost Cities of Gold discovered by yeah. Kevin Bloom. Uh, Kevin, please keep me posted about this um you know if if you need more promotion out there um happy to do it not just saying that so i get on your good side for the gold by the way um no maybe a little bit um no but but no seriously it, it, this has been a, you're a very interesting researcher you always point me in some uh very mind expanding directions and this certainly uh makes me want to start looking more into these treasures and and in our history because uh you know if you've discovered something here it's it's going to inspire a lot more people to want to ask questions and and that's really all i can ask for yeah yeah no i'll, I'll definitely keep you updated uh if anybody you know contacts you asking for you know to reach out to me by all means you can give out my information that because i'm looking for investors my family has money and everything but i'll be honest with you each their own when it comes to to money that, you know, I, I don't like asking for things, you know, if yes. people things, I don't like asking for things. Wow. You're, you're far less, uh, <laughs> selfish than I am then, I guess. Um, yeah, but that's good. Hey, you're, you're a good man. Just like Indy, man. He wanted to give back. He wanted to give back. He, he, he helped find okay. the stones in the second movie. Um, and the Holy Grail. I mean, yeah, this is, uh, it's fun. I, I, 
some of those like those Lumerian queens that I mentioned, because some of the artifacts, you know, I was like, should I be touching this, you know, save it all until I talk with Henry Waltz if they want all their stuff back, you know, give it back, right? What's the right thing to do? Give it back. But I'll be honest, I've been playing around with it. When I go out to like the McDonald's or any of the, when I talk with the people at the registers, I was like, hey, do you know the story of the Lost Dutchman's Mine and how everybody said it was in Arizona? It was in Arizona, Arizona Territory at the time, but now Arizona Territory is labeled New Mexico. And I, I mentioned the whole story and how it's like right outside of town. And I bring out a pocket. Of, I, I've been giving out some of the Lemurian coins to some of the people around town. You're just giving out the artifacts to having fun with it. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty nice, man. Uh, very cool. You're you're like the Andrew Yang of the golden mines. It's uh yeah, what, what a giver. I dig it. I dig it. Uh Kevin Bloom. Hey, this has been very fascinating, very fun to learn about. Uh best of luck out there. Stay safe and uh excited to talk to you again soon. Dude, that's awesome. I look forward to talking with you, man. Kevin Bloom. Fascinating find. Fascinating guy. Thanks again. I want to thank Ronnie McGilvery for the theme music. I want to thank Zero Boy for the pre-theme music. And by the way, do you like this show? We want to hear your original fringy voice, original weird perspectives. I want to hear more of you. Go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash open loops. Because yes, your unique self-expression matters. This podcast is in no way affiliated with Disney or Lucasfilms. Originality matters. Talk soon. <laughs>